What you're about to hear was aired on Planet Philadelphia, environmental radio show on Germantown Community Radio, 92.9 FM, WGGTLP in Philadelphia, and on gtownradio.com. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning into Planet Philadelphia today. I'm Kay Wood, the host of Planet Philadelphia. Linda Rosenwein, our assistant producer reporter, is here with me. We're on a call today with Jordan Gosporé. We'll be talking about toxic sites and climate change and the way that possibly increases threats from toxins. And Jordan produced and hosted Hazard New Jersey Climate Podcast. I don't know if people have heard it. If you haven't, I recommend listening. It's great. So, hi, Jordan. Thank you so much for speaking with Linda and me today. Thank you for having me. Before we get into the topic, could you tell people a little bit about yourself? Yeah, of course. Uh, like you said, I'm Jordan Gospore. I'm based out of New York City, but I'm originally from Texas. And I mentioned all of that because my upbringing in Texas has a big role in why I am doing this podcast in New Jersey. I grew up in a small town with their own fair share of toxic sites. And I really wanted to do a podcast all about toxic sites and New Jersey has the most. And I've been working with NJPBS, NJ Spotlight News on Hazard and Jay now for about four or five months. And yeah, we're gearing up to air the remainder of the season. We have five more episodes that will come out in the fall. The EPA lists 127 Superfund sites in Philadelphia. Another site has 340 toxic sites, but they're not all Superfund sites. So could you talk about that a little? Yeah, yeah. So the EPA has different designations for toxic sites. And to get to the level of Superfund, those are the most toxic places in this country that warrant extensive remediation and usually cost a lot of money. And one of the things that I tell folks in New Jersey and anyone that will listen to me is that if you believe that you have a toxic site in your community that warrants the level of being classified as a Superfund, on the EPA's national priorities list, that you can petition the EPA yourself to come out and do testing on this site. That it doesn't necessarily have to be a level of a politician or another stakeholder to do this. Because for a site to get on the EPA's radar, it really is about getting that to their attention. If it's not brought to their attention, it may never be designated Superfund or what is called a brownfield site, which is typically right under that Superfund level. From what I've been told, and I've talked to different EPA officials about them, they are not as cause for concern as the, the Superfund site, that the EPA just still has to go out and do remediation on it and work with the construction companies if they're building on these sites, but should not be um, a huge cause for concern. I still am not a 100% in agreement with that. And folks, I would say, go on your EPA's regional website, look into what sites are designated brownfields and Superfund sites in your area. And again, if you believe that there's a site near you that is toxic, please contact your EPA region office. So in Texas, for instance, I believe there is, last time I checked, 51 Superfund sites in all of the state of Texas. 
for me, light goes off thinking, I know how big Texas is. I know the history of the oil and gas industry in Texas. Highly doubtful there is only 51 sites that warrant a Superfund designation. New Jersey having 114 Superfund sites being the most out of any other state actually is a positive thing, not a negative thing. What is the relationship between climate change problems and some of these sites and their toxicity? Yeah, for sure. I mean, in New Jersey in particular, and also along the Gulf Coast, where you have a lot of industry or New Jersey, where it used to have a lot of industry, that flooding really has been a huge problem for these sites. Being close to the coastline, I mean, Hurricane Sandy is a good example for New Jersey of what we saw for some of these Superfund sites where Hurricane Sandy hit, destroyed some or part of a Superfund site. And the whole reason that the EPA put the site on the Superfund list to help pay for cleanup is that there is something toxic about it. There is toxic waste either buried underneath the ground, there is toxicity in the soil. You mean finding lead, arsenic, a whole host of other chemicals, each site, it varies. One site near a body of water is the Diamond Alkali site in Newark, where Agent Orange was produced, and there is dioxin that uh, is present in that site. And so when you have flooding occur, there is a risk for spreading the contamination so if you have a super fun site, you're like, okay, we know exactly where all of the contamination takes place. As we're doing the cleanup, we can maintain that toxic waste. The fear is in people that we've talked to is if there's flooding that occurs and it spreads, we will have no idea where this toxic waste has gone. Hurricane Sandy and the Diamond Alkali site in particular too in Newark, there were homes Water came through with mud. There was a fear that toxicity um, from that site came into their homes and their basements. They're cleaning it up, not realizing what they're actually dealing with. So there's these fears of all this stuff spreading. So a real urgency that if something happens worse than Hurricane Sandy or we get another Hurricane Sandy, or there's just flooding from some other kind of extreme weather event, that there's a potential of spread that could harm health and the environment way, way far out from the parameters of the Superfund site. And as you say, not all the flooding is caused by sea level rise. Some of it is by crazy weather we're having. Exactly. And so unpredictable. And, you know, a lot of these sites, you know, not just in New Jersey, but have been on the Superfund list for decades. And so really it's, you know, let's stop wasting our time. Let's get into high gear, clean these sites up as best as we can before something terrible happens. Some huge flood, extreme weather event happens. Let's just do it now. Well, there's also wildfires, which both New Jersey and Pennsylvania have been having. And how do those affect these sites? Wildfires, at least in New Jersey, have not seemed to be a huge concern for the EPA or experts we've spoken with about the spread of contamination. Weirdly enough, we thought that there'd be more of a fear that if a wildfire destroyed a Superfund site, there would be more problems. But Ringwood was the only one where we had an expert actually state, well, if a wildfire did occur and did destroy part or all of the Superfund site, you might be talking about, yes, like you're 
asthma from just a typical wildfire, but she was talking about PCBs and some of the forever chemicals that were in this site, being able to particulate and get into the air and people breathing that in, that that was the biggest concern when it came to wildfires is having these particulates go airborne and spread. It's been interesting because folks have like, I think really downplayed the risk of wildfire destroying Superfund sites and thinking it's not going to be that big of a deal. In the news, you hear that and they're finding more and more and more about just plain wildfire risks to people's health. Exactly. I would think that there'd be more of a concern about these particulates for all of these sites that if there was a wildfire or even if just the site, uh, you know, uh, exploded or somebody set the site on fire, like the risk of just this going airborne. And then again, like the flooding, you don't know where this pollution is spreading. What are some of the most common or most dangerous contaminants from these sites? Or is it just so varied you couldn't even say? Oh, I mean, it's so varied, but like, you know, lead and arsenic seems to be everywhere, like totally inescapable. But there's, you know, one for dioxin, there is dioxin itself, which are two separate chemicals. Dioxin was a byproduct of Agent Orange. And the interesting thing to me is you have a lot of chemicals that are in these sites. Usually, like what I've noticed in New Jersey, a lot of the sites that are on this list produce different types of dyes. And the different chemical byproducts from what they produce there are what, you know, you're finding. And I think the the kicker to me is, is that some of these have not been listed, though, as known human carcinogens. And so not every chemical that you're finding on these sites is considered to be a known human carcinogen. And there are chemicals that are found on these sites where still not much information is known about. Um, I think the only thing that is a commonality between all of these chemicals for the most part is like I tell people is like they're difficult to pronounce. And if they're difficult to pronounce, I always think like rule of thumb, it might not be the best thing to ingest or to be around if it's difficult to pronounce outside of lead and arsenic, which are the easy ones. But yeah, it's a wide host of chemicals. I, I don't really think there is much commonality in these sites, which is one of the reasons I wanted to do this show is in the past I've had editors that I've worked with and I've pitched to them super fun related articles say, this has been done before. Aren't they all pretty much the same? And it's the same sort of storyline where people in the community say, I got cancer from this site, the company that used to own the site saying, no, you don't have cancer. These chemicals are fine. And it's just the same sort of story over and over. And I've really made an effort to say each of these sites is really unique with their own unique set of problems. The community stories are unique. And I think the EPA needs to take a unique approach to the cleanup of each of these sites because the whole cleanup too, the EPA has very much of an old school blueprint for how they clean up these sites that I don't think is keeping up with the times or is keeping up with the impacts of climate change, which is a whole separate issue about how the EPA is going to remediate these sites in the future. I mean, you did your report on New Jersey, but contaminants don't necessarily stay in one state. So maybe you could talk about how states affect each other. No, exactly. I mean, that to me is like one of the biggest fears and why I wish there was more state cooperation in the cleanup process for these sites is you do have bodies of water that affect people outside of your state. 
and doing the due diligence of having state cooperation to be able to do testing of these bodies of water because I'm not seeing a lot of cooperation between the states, let alone local municipalities and their own state, like New Jersey in particular, um, not seeing a lot of collaboration, cooperation, period for any of this. And like the sad thing to me in doing this coverage is that it seems like all of the slow progress that's been made has been left up to the regular everyday people that live in the one town with the Superfund site in their backyard. And so if we're expecting just regular normal people with nine to five jobs in their off time, petitioning and pushing to get these sites cleaned up, I don't know what else we can expect to get states to work together if the states or the city council's not even really working with the, the locals who are getting these sites to be pushed through. So I am very pessimistic about trying to get states to work together, but I really wish they would see how neighboring states really do affect each other. And also too, New York City trash in trash incinerators in New Jersey. Like we are actively working on polluting each other and we should be working on helping to clean up each other. And the second part of Hazard NJ focuses on South Jersey Superfund sites. So it's going to be really interesting to see how those sites impact Pennsylvania in particular. So it sounds like a real power differential between people who are being harmed and those who are not doing what they should to remediate the harm. Oh, 100%. Yeah. I mean, it's just been fascinating seeing how there are people in these communities that for 40 years have been going to the community meetings, have been leading community meetings, have been pushing to get these sites cleaned up. People who have spent a you know, majority of their life to get a site cleaned up has been really inspiring and really sad to me that they should not have been the ones to have to do this. We elect people for a reason that are supposed to be working on our behalf. You know, I, it has been really inspiring again, like I said, though, to to speak with them, because I mean, for me, my gut reaction would have been I would have just wanted to get get out of Dodge and I would have left the town if I could, if I thought there was a fear that I was being poisoned, you know, but for a lot of these people, they can't do that or they don't want to do that. That's their home. You alluded to site-specific problems. So maybe you could tell some more about that and site-specific safeguards what those might be. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I keep bringing up the Diamond Alkali site mainly because that one fascinated me the most just because it was the largest producer of Agent Orange in this country and that the contamination is actually underwater. So the remediation process is going to be very different from your traditional Superfund site going to be a lot more costly and it's also going to be a little bit more precarious about how they go about this to prevent the spread of these chemicals in the Passaic River. I'm trying to think about like how to phrase the prevention aspect of this because really the only way I would say to prevent the spread of these chemicals are to make sure that they stay in place is to finish the cleanup that the EPA, so for diamond alkali, has been sitting on for more than 40 years now, and a lot of these places for decades as well. There really is no other way of prevention until these sites are completely cleaned up. And the idea of cleanup, too, is pretty controversial. How, what does it mean for a site to be cleaned up? Can a toxic site 
ever really be cleaned up. Depends on who you ask. I'm under the impression that no, a toxic site can never really truly be cleaned up. Once you contaminate land, there will always be some sort of trace. I do want to mention this real quick because we haven't talked about it yet. And I want to just get it in there. I think some of the reasons why certain sites are getting cleaned up at a quicker rate in the last couple of years has nothing to do with climate change, even though it should. It has more to do with development. Some of these sites are along bodies of water. And when you look at some of the cities where these sites are located, you'll see there's not much land left along bodies of water. And housing is a big spur, building luxury apartment complexes and like mixed use apartments along the water. And I know for Diamond Alkali, there has already been talk of what are we going to do once this is officially cleaned up? Do we want to put apartments or is there something to do with a Amazon warehouse or like a HelloFresh thing expansion or parking lots? Sometimes there's a nefarious reason about why politicians in particular want to spur the cleanup action now. And it's not climate change, even though it should be. It's for another reason, for economic development. I don't think a toxic site ever is cleaned up. And I'm not the only one that thinks that, but there are some folks we've spoken with who are totally under the mindset. You can bury containers of toxic waste under the ground, and that's the way we want to clean it up. And you can build an apartment complex over it, Uh, because that's been done before, which I'm just like, Bearing toxic waste sounds great. They're like, but we cap it. You know, it's like a um, think of it like a tomb. We entomb it in concrete and it's underneath the ground. And that's that's going to be there forever. Um, but it's safe. We can build a park. We can build an apartment complex. We can build a school and nothing will happen. They've never heard of earthquakes. No, they've never heard of a lot of like extreme weather events. Yeah. They're like, oh, it never happens here. I've even mentioned to someone, I'm like, yeah. It never really snowed in my part of Texas either. And now it's snowing there. Um, I think there's other things that we need to think about that are more forward thinking with these remediation plans. You alluded to what the EPA is doing and some concerns with it. I think been a little tough on the EPA and there are some really good folks there who really are passionate about cleaning these places up and very knowledgeable. But, you know, there's also some folks that are on the opposite end. And I only say that because I think that plays a role in how they clean up some of these sites and what sort of remediation they decide to do. It's expensive to do any kind of remediation here. I understand that. The most common one, though, is also, you know, happens to be the cheapest And it's the capping. We're going to typically entombment in concrete or some kind of base and leave it on the site. So the toxicity remains on the site, which has been controversial, especially with people who live in these communities who are like, we want it taken away. Okay, though, when you say you want it taken away, where should it be taken? To another community in 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 a special landfill that they have for this? Well, no, I don't really want it to be, you know, in someone else's backyard. Can it be incinerated? Is there a way to actually get rid of the toxins? Cheapest way, again, is like EPA thinking we're just going to leave it on the site and just cap it. We don't have to worry then. And it does make some people happy to be like, finally, you know, after all these years, you're finally going to do something about this site and we can move on. So just do it as quickly and cheaply as possible. And let's just move past the history of this. 
and then it can get really, really expensive. And one of the most expensive remediation projects is the diamond alkali one, where they're wanting to dredge, pull up that contaminated soil from the bottom of the Passaic River, and then cap the hole. So they're removing all this sediment, and it'll go into an incinerator. And then there's the hole, cap the hole, and be done. But it's timely, it's costly. They're afraid that if they don't do it correctly, that it's going to spread the toxins underneath the Passaic. And then it's like, well, how are we going to keep track of all of this? It's in this body of water that's already contaminated to begin with. Because, you know, also as a reminder, don't fish in the Passaic. Don't fish, don't eat the fish, don't eat the crab. So you have it on two different spectrums. I just think it's really difficult to make anyone happy or to make anyone really feel safe with these sites. You mentioned incineration a number of times. So what happens if you incinerate this stuff? Does anyone know? Yeah, good question. And I've asked numerous people that we've spoken with and nobody really knows what actually happens when you incinerate these toxins. I have asked too, specifically about airborne particles with incineration. Like, how do you do the um, air monitoring when you're incinerating toxins from a Superfund site? And it all seems like we are monitoring the air when we take it to these special incinerators. It's not a garbage incinerator. These are typically special ones for these Superfund sites. And, you know, it seems to be... We incinerate it. We're monitoring the air. Everything is okay. This is the, you know, sometimes this is the best way to dispose of this and we're all going to be okay. I have not gotten any sort of like particulars when I've asked questions about like, how are you monitoring the air? Like, can every single toxin that is in a Superfund site then be incinerated and destroyed completely? And what if they're all together? And I haven't gotten answers to these questions. I'm getting very like elementary responses from EPA officials and former EPA officials and others that we've spoken with. The site is designated as a Superfund. When does it have to be cleaned up or does it just sort of languish there? Yeah, good question. Because it does just languish there. There's no real deadline for these sites, which is why they just keep going on and on and people can't, you know, start forgetting about it or the city council, the state hopes the community will just forget about all of the bad that a company did to your community and that site over there. Just pretend it doesn't exist anymore. I don't think any of the sites that we have featured necessarily would have gotten cleaned up if it wouldn't have been for the community just continuously putting pressure. Because, yeah, I mean, they would just languish and nothing would they would happen. So you mentioned community activism. What should people do? If, you know, you do believe that there's a toxic site in your community, go and find your EPA region representative and contact them and let them know about the site in question and let other people in your community know about a site that you feel like is toxic. Do some research about the site itself, its history, trying to find out some information if you can about what contaminants might be in that site. Typically that's found when you look up the history of whatever company was there, what they were making. Contacting journalists in your community as well to be able to help shoulder some of that burden with you because there are climate environmental journalists, that's our job to look into these things and they can be a free helpful resource. Also too, 
I found that local libraries as well, like when talking to the EPA about trying to come down and do some some tests on the site to be like, hey, you know, I, I worked with my local library. I found out information about what the company did here. You know, these are the chemicals that they produce or this is the byproduct we think is on the site and utilize the resources in your community to just make the EPA aware and try to put pressure one, one other point too, that even if the EPA would come down and say, this is not the, the level of Superfund, it's toxic, but it's not so toxic that we necessarily need to pour tons of money into it as a Superfund site. You know, there's still other things that can be done and there's still other resources that can go in from the EPA to help clean up that site. Like, it's not a disappointment if the EPA would tell you, oh, it's toxic, but it's not Superfund. Where it's like, hey, okay, well, now we can still get this cleaned up. You know, it doesn't have to, to rise to that level to still pose a risk or to still warrant a cleanup. You mentioned politicians have not really made this a priority. What can people do, like lobby their politicians? For sure. And, you know, I think that politicians in New Jersey, for instance, I mean, New Jersey's home to the Superfund law. Politicians are more aware of Superfund and the toxic sites in their state. And obviously to the reputation New Jersey has just outside of its own state doesn't necessarily help the cause. But in other places like my home state of Texas, where I never heard of the Superfund program until shoot, maybe seven years ago as a journalist doing climate reporting, I had never heard of it. Um, I had never been to any Superfund sites in Texas or read any sort of reporting about Superfund sites in Texas at the time. And so I think that lobbying politicians in places where they might not be as aware either as places like New Jersey, um, making it a point that when you communicate with your politicians, especially at the local level, to be able to talk to them about Superfund and explain to them, more than likely they will not have heard. See if there is a way to have a dialogue between your politician, yourself, and maybe somebody who is of a more expert opinion. You know, like New Jersey, I would have gone to someone at Rutgers for that. They have a whole environmental, you know, climate division. So finding someone in your local community that maybe that can speak more quote expertly to that might get the attention of your politician more than you going on about the toxic site. Because I've also found in some of these stories where it's like one community member or a couple of folks in the community saying, I think our community has cancer because of the toxic site. People tend to just say that you're crazy or, uh, you know, it, it's, it's going about it in a different way too when you talk to politicians and stakeholders. Have we missed anything? Yeah, I mean, I just will mention one thing. New Jersey is working to pass an environmental justice law. I mean, I personally just think it's an amazing uh, law and it should be used as a model for other states to push, specifically talking about new industries coming to a community and having um, a community discussion before that industry gets approval to move in, looking at how they are potentially going to pollute that community. And also looking at how many other industries are polluting a community and seeing how that stacks up with a new industry coming in, um, because there's the overburdened communities that have just a ton of these industries that are polluting them. It's a really great model for the community to work with politicians on new industries coming in and being able to have a say about who is 
being in their their neighborhood and what sort of pollutants are going to be harming them. This the GAO, the Government Accountability Office, has something to do with this, and what do they do in relation to this problem? We actually spoke with folks from the GAO. They were looking at the impacts of climate change on different parts of the country, and they were looking at New Jersey as one of their case studies. And when we spoke to the representative, he was saying, like, based on all of the the research and everything that they've done, that New Jersey is going to be severely impacted, no surprise, by extreme weather events like flooding and rising sea levels. But they have a real concern about how the EPA is not taking these concerns into account in cleaning up the Superfund sites in New Jersey. The GAO was concerned that these Superfund sites in New Jersey are going to be impacted negatively and were critical of the EPA's cleanup approach. So I'm not the only one, I guess, that's saying these things. (laughs) I just wanted to make sure you gave people the information about how they access your Hazard New Jersey reporting. So Hazard New Jersey or Hazard NJ, the podcast can be found anywhere you get your podcasts. But it can also be found on the NJ Spotlight News website. Um, But really the easiest way, if you want to listen to the podcast itself, is to just search for it wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you so much for talking with us. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. If you want to know more about Planet Philadelphia, go to planetphiladelphia.com. You could also find out more about other G-Town Radio programming by going to gtownradio.com. I hope you will consider making a small monthly donation to help Planet Philadelphia continue presenting interviews on important underreported environmental topics and exploring their complexities and intersections. Thank you so much for your support.